0: I want you to have those words that we just sang in your mind as we come to read this passage from 1 Samuel. He is my help. He is my God. There's much about David's life that comes true just in that uh, very simple phrase that gives him the boldness to uh, to act in this situation, uh, to act uh, to go into Saul's camp and uh, eventually to, to speak to him, uh, to speak in a way that, uh, that brings out God's righteousness and holiness and, and uh, a gospel promise. Listen, as I read 1 Samuel 26, I am going to start at the first of the chapter so that you'll, uh, you'll have a sense of what's happening here in verses 13 through 20. get The right chapter. 1 Samuel twenty six, listen as I read God's word. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah opposite Jeshemon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshemon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people and camped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zerui, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hands this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please now take the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or awoke. For they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king?" So David said to Abner, are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord, the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son, David? David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my Lord, the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if, it is, but if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, seek other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Stop with the reading there. Uh, There's more to come as David has spoken to Saul. When soldiers camp at night, they set up a guarded perimeter. I've enjoyed learning from J.D. and his boot camp training a little bit about this. One of the things that he said was drilled into them is, you better not fall asleep. There were certain penalties that happened to their little command, their little uh, uh, perimeter that they set up, that uh, the sergeants would march around through the night and catch you if you were asleep. And there was trouble that would happen if they caught you asleep. Well, the reason is obvious, isn't it? The enemy might infiltrate that camp, they might launch a surprise attack and if the perimeter is asleep, they'd be unprepared. It's important for any encampment, but especially so in this text because the king was in this camp. The king was right there and David was able to walk right into the middle of the camp And had an opportunity to strike him dead. But he didn't. And he used this opportunity to speak to King Saul and really to the rest of the army and to the nation of Israel. Over and over again, 1 Samuel has has placed Saul and David in contrast to each other so that we could see the differences between a man of God who is not perfect but who genuinely is seeking to follow after the Lord. And his faith is something that is expressed in his, his daily obedience and in his repentance and in his honor and righteousness in the way that he conducted himself with the soldiers and with the tasks that were given him and his behavior was such that the nation knew it. I imagine that the army especially knew it. On the other hand, in contrast to that, we have, we've been seeing Saul who descends further and further into disobedience and into depravity. His abuse of his power and position promotes his own agenda. He took the sacrifices of the Lord into his own hand, for instance. And he rashly pressed a vow on his soldiers that then harried them into exhaustion because of that vow. He continued now to lead them on a wild goose chase after David, when David had done nothing wrong. So now, when David speaks, and this is this seems to be the driving point of this passage, because David as he escapes and he's standing on the opposite hill, says, "Now listen to me, Saul. Listen, please hear my words." When he speaks, his character and his leadership and his faith stand in contrast with Saul. And in a sense, his godly behavior gave him what we might call street cred it gave him it gave him an opening to speak to the one who was persecuting him and i'm caught by that uh, that faith of david in the midst of uh, of the crushing persecution he was facing i'm caught by that because it speaks to the sense of 1 Samuel that is leading us to long for such leadership in our country as well. But it also speaks to us and it can apply to us as we live in an increasingly hostile setting. What I want to draw out is that godliness opens a door to credibility. Godliness opens a door to credibility in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. I want to walk through David's actions. I want you to see his godliness. I want you to see the significance of them in light of that persecution and in light of the witness that is born. We'll start off with David taking Saul's spear. That may seem a small thing. It is at least proof that David was there, right? He had the king's spear, and he had the opportunity to to kill the king because of that. But there seems to be more to it than that. As I said, the, the, the funnel of this passage seems to be driving towards David's speaking to the king. And so as he comes to speak to the king, he holds in his hand the king's own spear, Think of the significance of that. Think of the the door that is opened for credibility here for David to speak this way. Because David had restrained his hand from taking revenge. I preached on that last week when I emphasized waiting on the Lord. Revenge is not ours to take, it belongs to God. You could hear that as well in David's words previously. Saul's day will come, God will take care of that. It may not be today, maybe he falls sick, maybe he falls in battle, but it will come, the Lord will strike him down. So he's waiting on the Lord for that. But as he waits, he has Saul's spear in his hand, significant of the fact that he would not take revenge. And it's the same spear that, that Saul would have thrown at David and would have argued, you know, I have reason to throw this back at you, right? I have reason to to have an offense with you, but I did not use that. There's more still, because that that spear, especially on the battlefield, is something of a significant uh, symbol of the authority that Saul had. Kind of like a scepter as a king sits on his throne. A scepter is decorative these days, but as a weapon in days past. Here on the battlefield, that spear would have been something of a sign of authority. And David, in taking that spear, demonstrates the decline and the stripping away of Saul's authority something that Samuel had spoken of already. The Lord has rejected Saul, and in taking his spear, David showed his growing royal authority to act, not in the taking of Saul's life, but of stripping him of the symbols of that authority of his office there's a certain amount of boldness and a certain amount of restraint that is that is seen in this action a certain amount of credibility that is gained because of that and god teaches teaches us as a church from this he teaches you to exercise restraint you may think that you have authority to do whatever you want and that in your anger that you can go and and slay whatever enemy that is with those words that you have poisoned and that you are going to use to pin that enemy to the ground. In fact, that's what David was intent on doing in the chapter before, right? He was uh, on his way to execute Nabal, but he learned to wait on the Lord and to exercise restraint. Well, you can practice this too, in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. You can practice it in your family as well, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, on your social media. Just because you might be able to snatch up that spear and pin somebody to the ground doesn't mean that you should. In fact, in showing restraint, you will often tend to disarm your enemy because Satan would love for you to lose control of your anger and thereby discredit your witness. The world will notice, but you will gain a respect as you restrain yourself and your emotions. David, by his godly behavior, by his restraint in just taking the spear and Saul's authority, gained an opportunity to speak. Secondly, David rebuked Abner. So when he was in a safe distance, David called out to Abner, the general of Saul's army. And he chastises him, he rebukes him. Abner, what have you done? Are you not a man? You are. The army knows it. You are head and shoulders above everyone. Everyone respects you, but you have failed to guard the king. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. Now, there may, you may read this as, a, uh, as, a, uh, as trash-talking. But what you also catch here, and in driving towards that point that I've described, I also want you to catch the note of command, the exercise of authority that David now is voicing as he calls out to Abner. He is now speaking to Abner, the the commander of the armies of Israel, And when David was was a captain, he would have looked up to Abner as the commander. But he is now speaking with a voice of command and authority to this general, General Abner. There's purpose in that. And it poses a very interesting question because here David is saying to Abner I did what you did not I have preserved the king's life I have protected the king's life where you have failed a capital offense that's how serious it was to guard the king a capital offense and David says you failed in this By what authority does David speak? Here, David's godliness comes true once more. He speaks out of what I would call a derived authority. He was a man under authority himself. He understood that he was under the rule of God and under God's law. And out of that rule, he restrained his hand against Saul. And by that rule, he governed his life and his service every day, even under the crushing persecution that he was facing, even under the accusations. Here is where that uh, platform to speak comes in once more, that I, I'm calling it street cred. His godliness gives him an opportunity to speak so that others would listen to him. The same is true in every age. In an increasingly secular and hostile world, you will gain credibility and a place to speak, not by your force of will, not by the number of people who follow you on social media, but by your daily practical godliness. That's where I would call your attention to the way Peter speaks about this in his first letter. And I'll remind you that Peter is speaking to a church that was also facing persecution, just like David was. Persecution that was much more than a cancel culture. It was a deadly culture, a deadly proposition to stand for Christ in David's day and Peter's day. And I'll remind you what he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. just makes you kind of shake your head, doesn't it? The amazing purpose of God for that daily practical godliness of the people of God. First Peter says that you, as a church, are living stones built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You're connected vitally to him so that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that your, uh, your, your building, your, your church, your, uh, your being edified in Christ is a witness to the watching world. And it motivates Peter to say this, and it motivates us to live for Christ in a way that proclaims that there is a God in heaven that there is a savior from sin. Now it doesn't promise that we would not face slander. In fact, it even suggests that we will. But for the very things that they slander you, those very good deeds, God purposes to be a witness to them so that they are without excuse for one thing so that they would recognize the hand of God for another. And may, be, may it be that they would even glorify God on the day of visitation, suggesting that by our godliness under persecution, that there is a rebuke to the world that leads them to repentance and salvation. catch that vision, that even under the slander and the persecution of the world, that you are witness by the way you live and the words that you speak, that the Lord is at work. And you may not see it, as David said, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but the day will come, the Lord will do his work, silencing or Converting. I want you to catch that vision and desire and live for Christ in such a way that gives street cred. Uh, Just kind of a hook to hang that on. What about the words? What is it that David's driving at? Well, David speaks to Saul, and he speaks to him once more like he did back in chapter 24. David reproves Saul. This is the last time David will speak to Saul. We know as the chapters go along that the, uh, the physical presence, uh, uh, or the, 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 that they're separated by the continued hatred that Saul has towards David, the continued uh, seeking to destroy him, and then the invasion of Philistines and warfare that comes upon the nation of Israel, David and Saul will never meet again. And there's a weightiness to words that have this significance, the last words that are given. And their paths have already gone in vastly different, different directions david has borne the brunt of that and yet as he as he trusts in god he uses even this last opportunity he doesn't know that it's the last but he it, 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 there's a sense in all that he does to gain this hearing with saul that he he is burdened for the king of Israel, his enemy. And he's burdened for his soul. Saul had rejected God's word. He'd walked in his own ways instead of following after God. And he grew worse and worse as the days went on. And out of respect for the Lord out of respect for the office of king, out of of gospel hope for Saul, David speaks. Why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? He opens with a a sense of of a witness testifying. I am innocent of all that has been accused of me. And he goes on to plead his case, suggesting that there may be two reasons why Saul was pursuing him. First, it could be that God had stirred him up to do this, or maybe it was influenced by evil men, but let's, Think of what he says about God stirring up. David said, if the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. And this phrase is a little unclear as what it refers to. It could be taken in two ways. First, it could be that David acknowledges that maybe God is using Saul to chastise me. Perhaps I have done wrong it's as if he would say to Saul, if the Lord is leading you to chastise me for sin, show that me. Show that me so that I may repent and offer sacrifice to God. On the other hand, it could be that, again, David speaking with that rising authority of God to speak into the situation. It could be David calling Saul to recognize God's reproof of him in this instance. In other words, David might be saying, God's hand is in this, and look what you are doing. You are, you are pursuing a futile and wasteful effort against an innocent man. You're chasing a flea in the desert Can't you see God's hand in this humbling you? And if you see that Saul offer sacrifice to God, he will surely accept you. I lean towards this direction because of that that sense of David rising up to speak to the king. He speaks and says, if it is God, and if it's God rebuking you, then respond. Oh, please respond, and God will accept your sacrifice. But if it is evil men that have stirred you up, then you need to know that I am innocent. And you need to know the damage that has been done as you have followed the sway of their slander out of jealousy and out of hatred. They have pressured you. And look at what is done. I have been driven away from the presence of God. I want you to feel the the, the longing that David has because of this, uh, of this action that has come against him. He says, I no longer share the inheritance of the Lord. It's as if they say to me, go and serve other gods. He couldn't participate in the public worship of God. You see, in David's setting, there was one place, one specific place that that would take, uh, take place. It was at the tabernacle. And he couldn't go there, even though he longed for it, he panted after it, Psalm 42. And so grievous was this that David appeals that Saul would not let his blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. The force of these words is very, are very powerful. David once more behaves in a way that demonstrates his godliness, It demonstrates his love for the Lord and and his respect for the office of king and for Saul himself, a godly longing for his spiritual good. So he boldly spoke to the king, urging him to change his direction, urging him to repent. He implies that Saul was indeed under God's chastisement, a chastisement that impaired his ability to lead. And just imagine going to someone like Saul with such a rebuke. But David included within that rebuke a real gospel uh, gospel invitation. If you repent, God will forgive. If you turn away from sin, if you ask God's forgiveness, He has provided a way to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. You can hear David pleading with Saul to turn and to repent of his sins. We know with clarity today what that way of escape is. We know that it's referring to the Lamb of God, the Son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us. That's prefigured in David's day by the sacrifices It's prefigured by the bringing of a lamb to offer up in the place of sins. And it's prefigured in a way that points out that through Christ, there is forgiveness. That there is peace. There is a removal of our guilt and shame. And so David spoke to this man who was hurting him. So this man who was persecuting him, and he speaks gospel truth, God is at work through you today to do the same. God is at work through you today to speak gospel truth, even to those who are slandering you, even to those who would take up weapons against the church, even to those who would kill you. He is using you to to speak gospel truth. Now use that term "street cred again to be that hook to hang this message on. What is the expected path of conflict against someone. What is the, not only expected, but almost the accepted path? Well, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. What you do to me, I will give it back to you only more. That's the expected way of resolving conflict in the world. Daily, practical godliness is different. Take no prisoners, says the world. Bury your opponent under your argument. Use whatever means necessary to cut them down. Whatever means it takes. And in this climate the volume and the heat just continue to rise higher and higher but nobody is listening but godliness opens a door to credibility godliness opens a door to hearing remember this is not a, an absolute said first Peter says that yeah they're still going to slander you but God is at work in it I want you to see some of the credibility of the open door to hearing that is Is presented. Godliness acts and speaks with humility that rests on the knowledge that our lives and our times are in God's hands. Such humility leads you to wait upon the Lord and can disarm and diffuse that ever ratcheting up of the volume and of the violence. Godliness opens a door because it acts with restraint, waiting on God, rather than giving way to our own selfish desires of self-protection, our own selfish desires for self-justification, and our own anger and anxiousness. Godliness opens a door because it maintains a course of peace and mostly maintains a course of gospel hope, even under crushing pressure, even under that, even though the world slanders you for the very good things that you are doing, even though the world persecutes you for these things, God is at work. He is indeed building you up stone upon stone upon stone resting upon Jesus Christ. And that edification of the church is a witness to the watching world. They may try to tear it down. There may be winnowing and purifying that takes place. But Christ is at work. He works through you, testifying by your godly life by your witness. It may be that we live in a period of increasing slander and hostility, but let your daily practical godliness be your witness of your faith in Christ. And may it be that that light would shine in such a way that points to Christ, that speaks of the goodness that we have tasted so that the world may see it, that they may hear it. And may it be that the Lord would use it to convert some so that in that day of visitation, in that day of the second coming of Christ, there would be some that would say, I learned of Christ by your witness. Your godliness does provide an opportunity for credibility. May you understand that your union with Christ, that you, that you are resting upon him is a witness to the watching world. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be such a witness. Thank you for showing us David as he rises in authority and rises in responsibility to act and to speak as the king of his people. We long for such leaders in our country, we long for Christ to be to be honored uh, amongst our leaders. We long for our own witness to be the same. That you are our God and our hope is in you, all that we have and All that is ours, we commit to following after you. We pray that it would be indeed a witness to the watching world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll close with the Psalm of the Month, Psalm 56a, that speaks of that same confidence of David. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. Let's stand and sing Psalm
1: 56a. Be merciful to me, O God, for man has founded me. He fights against We
0: receive the lord's blessing now may the lord god of peace himself grant you pre- grant grant you peace always and in every way the lord be with you all in jesus name